Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Welcome to episode 92 of The Storytellers. Today, I'm honored to have as my guest, Dionne Ford. She is the author of the memoir, Go Back and Get It. She's the co-editor of the anthology, Slavery's Descendants, Shared Legacies of Race and Reconciliation. She has an MFA from NYU, and she has a BA from Fordham University, where she is currently teaching creative writing. Dionne, I could not be happier than to have you here at The Storytellers Microphone. Welcome. Thank you so much, Grace. I'm glad to be here. Well, I first was captured by your memoir, Go Back and Get It, not only for the title, but because it all sprang from you doing a little bit of Google research and finding a photograph. Tell me about it. <laughs> yes, there's nothing like Google. That's uh, true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, back in 2007, I... One day, it was my birthday, and I guess my birthday tends to bring out my desire to know more about where I came from. And so uh, on this particular day, I just decided to uh, do a quick search of my ancestors based on what I knew about them, which was their last names and where they had lived, Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Um, and this was after years of trying to do, you know, regular research and not coming up with that much. And so I was shocked when this uh, 1800s, this photo taken around the 1800s popped up of all of them in the photo. And who was in the photograph? So in the photo was my great-great-grandmother, Timpy Burton. And uh, behind her were my great-great-grandfather, Colonel W.R. Stewart, and his wife, Elizabeth McCauley. And then on the sides of my great-great-grandmother, she was in the middle, were these um, two young, you know, youngish girls who looked like they could be biracial. Um, so yeah, my great-great-grandmother Tempe was enslaved by Elizabeth. Uh, and when she, when Elizabeth married the Colonel, Tempe was given to them as a wedding gift. So, um, I was shocked to find that um, photo. And what do you think was the story behind the photo? Why was your great grandmother there with her children in the midst of this? I mean, that's the million dollar question. And I've, you know, from finding more information about um, my relatives that, that were in the photo, there's, some guesses that I've made. Um, I can't say definitively why um, they were gathered there, but it did seem like they were marking some occasion, some you know pretty uh, important occasion. So I think it could have been possibly a big birthday for my great great grandmother, since she's the one in the middle of the photo. Okay. Um, like maybe you know a seventy fifth birthday, something like that. Or it could have been um, another family, um, another family occasion, which <laughs> I don't want to say as to, you know, leave something 
for the readers to actually read about. But yeah. yes, I, I don't want I want everybody to be able to get go back and get it. But I was so curious because the photo was taken after slavery had ended, correct? That is exactly right. That was uh, one of the things that was so interesting as I started to kind of learn more about the photo itself was that it was taken in the 1890s. So that's a good 20 plus years after the end of slavery. Um, so I was really surprised and curious to know why my great great grandmother would take what amounts to a family for portrait, really, um, a family photo with the people who had enslaved her. Um, so yeah, I was definitely really drawn to the photo itself just because it's kind of a remarkable piece of history in many ways that encapsulates the American experience. Um, but I was also very interested to know why um, they would be um, doing something so, you know, intimate um, and, and important um, considering the nature of their relationship in the past. Yeah, and that's, um, I've only read parts of your book, so I can't wait to get back to um, go back and get it. Tell me how you came across the title. Sure. Um, so the, the, the title, Go Back and Get It, is a, um, an homage to the Akan um, symbol uh, of, called Sankofa, um, which is, a, a, the symbol is sometimes a bird, it can also sometimes be a uh, two hearts that come together. Mm -hmm. um, people actually might recognize that heart in, um, like, uh, in ironworks, right? Like, so railings, sure. hearts that come together. Um, so um, the Akan of Western Africa um, have this symbol uh, as a um, idea of looking to the past in order to go forward. Um, so, uh, it's like a philosophy, a way of life that's symbolized by this bird or by the hearts. And, um, I was very drawn to that idea of going back, um, getting my history in order to move forward, um, kind of in a grounded and healed way and, um, be propelled. Did the writing of this book do that for you? Absolutely. 100%. It absolutely did. Um, you know, uh, to see my great great grandmother, who had been enslaved, have this very full, long life. She lived to be um, over 100 years old. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, I don't think you can live that long and be suffering, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know? So um, just the, just her physical duration. Uh, gave me a lot of inspiration and hope. Um, and then the, some of the things that I learned about her, that she became a property owner um, and that she was able to keep her property and pass it down to her children. Um, all of that just really, really inspired me. Um, so it did help me to really think about um, that my life is what I make of my life and um, to really um, take ownership, you know, and authorship of my story. And um, while certainly my past is a piece of my story, but it doesn't encapsulate me. And 
So finding my my ancestors um, story really kind of gave me permission to um, dictate my own. Well, that's such an important lesson for all of us uh, that we can own our own story. So I'm so glad that you shared that that piece of the writing with us. Now you have uh, children of your own. What has their reaction been to finding their history? Oh wow, my daughters are like my biggest my biggest champions, truly. Um, so I have two girls, which is very special to me because I was really drawn to my great great grandmother's story. So it's been kind of extra special to then share this history of the women in our family with my now women who I'm raised, who I've raised because they're now 20 and 23. So um, they're not little girls anymore. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, their response has been very positive and they take a lot of pride in knowing um, this part of their history. And um, I think it's also a, a point of inspiration for them as well to see the wide arc that their um, enslaved great-great-grandmother, well, their third great-grandmother took, and, um, you know, to also be able to embrace all of their history um, with its, you know, sorrows, as well as its joys. So when you, you mentioned that there were two young girls who were in the photo, were you able to find out about them as well? Uh, because their names are not uh, associated to the photo. I've only been able to speculate about who I believe that they are based on when the picture was taken. Um, so I definitely have my, my you know, educated guesses about who mm -hmm. they are. And based on those guesses, yes, I've, I've been able to find out um, some information about um, who I imagine those girls to be. Probably um, Timpy's children, Timpy and the Colonel's daughters. Yeah. What an amazing story. And when I heard about this story, it made me remember a novel, not a nonfiction, a novel that I had read literally decades ago, which I have to admit, I kind of romanticized about the story between Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings. And, uh, what? How common was this type of relationship um, that your great great grandmother had with um, the Colonel and the Sally Hemings? Tell me about that part of the history for those people who don't understand it or remember it. Sure. So you know, for people who don't know, but I think by now everybody probably does know that um, Sally Hemings was um, enslaved to Thomas Jefferson, also through his wife. Um, caveat there, uh, his wife and Sally Hemings were also related, um, I believe half sisters. Yes, um, I think so. Yeah. Um, and so as far as what it says about our history and this commonality, no, it wasn't that, um, uncommon, just not often discussed, um, I would say. And if you look at just our DNA, um, that's, that tells the real story of just how common it is when, you know, um, many black people can expect to have, um, a European male ancestor and that, um, when you do the math and look at the time period, then you can, um, definitely 
correlate that that is through slavery. Yes, and I need to qualify there that well, it, there were certainly points in this novel which um, helped me romanticize it. I was absolutely horrified that towards the end of the novel, slavery ends, and Thomas Jefferson says, "Oh, but not for you, Sally." That's exactly right. And and I'm, I'm I'm very sorry that that was Sally's outcome, but I was very glad for the poignancy of the novel to say at the end of the day these people were enslaved they were just chattel if you will to um slave owners and uh so thank you for bringing that story back to me as well in, in such an important way in go back and get it which releases when it comes out a week from tomorrow on april 4th Okay, so when this airs, it will oh, already be out. Long. That's right. So that's it's not April that's 4th. A, <laughs> that's absolutely fabulous. I'm so excited about it. Now, you've also written an anthology called Slavery's Descendants, Shared Legacy of Race and Reconciliation. Um, I'm just finishing up being a co-editor on three different anthologies. My head is spinning. What did you learn from being uh, the co-editor co of an anthology? Sure. Um, so it was, first of all, such an honor and a privilege to be trusted with people's um, intimate and vulnerable stories about uh, looking into their family's histories and discovering that they had a, an enslaver in their family when that's not really the story that had gotten passed down, you know. Uh, so um, it was, yeah, uh, such an honor. Um, and um, also very special to be working with the group of people that I worked with who were all uh, members of Coming to the Table, all of the contributors to that anthology. And Coming to the Table is a national organization that is focused on healing the, um, the legacy of slavery um, by bringing together descendants of of slave owners and descendants of uh, enslaver, uh, in the enslaved um, to heal this historic harm. Um, and they take their name coming to the table from that part of Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous speech, I Have a Dream speech. And he, he, he says that one day that he hopes the, this, that the children of slaves and the children of slave owners can come together at the table. Um, so yeah, it was a, a huge privilege to be able to do that. And I also learned so much. Tell us about what you learned, because I, I, I think that is also an amazing story and so timely for where we are right now. Yeah, so um, one of the things that stood out for me was about um, one woman who discovered that her Quaker ancestors had enslaved people. Um, so we often, you know, we hear Quakers and we definitely think of people who championed freedom and liberation. And, you know, you don't think of a Quaker having that kind of story. So um, it just reminded me that there are as many uh, rules to be broken, you know, that we believe as there are people when it comes to slavery and that it was both an institution, but also particular to um, the people who were experiencing it. Um, so yeah, that was one of the things that, that struck me as um, just a, a big surprise. 
So, you know, I, I'm a very big believer that no group is monolithic. You know, I can't speak for all white women. I can't speak for all older women. You can't speak for, you know, the people from your history. But what are the big lessons that we should come to the table with so that we better understand each other, even though we are not monolithic in our stories? Yeah, I mean, as far as my takeaway from this, um, from doing this research and uh, writing this memoir is that, I mean, the takeaway for me is that, um, yeah, this slavery was a huge institution and it involved relationships with people um, that were particular to them. And that within that, um, you know, enslaved people and for me, enslaved women found their ways to um, exert their own autonomy within this oppressive system, um, which they had to do in order to keep their sanity, right? And to, and to maintain their uh, humanity. And so I sometimes feel like that's a thing that gets often lost in slavery, that enslaved people are often talked about as victims. And of course, absolutely, they were victimized, but they were people first who found ways to, um, to hold on to their humanity. And we have that, you know, everywhere we look in, in our culture. They left that imprint from music to food. So, um, yeah, that, that's for me is, is the biggest thing that I, I like to remember is that each, each enslaved person is a person, not just, not just um, the, the story, not just, you know, about slavery. Well, and I think the switch, you know, you now um, are a teacher of creative writing, but I think the switch in language, and obviously to me, words matter very, very much. And for me, leaving our mark on the world matters very, very much. But I think that as a writer yourself and as a teacher of writers, the switch in the term from slaves to enslaved people makes a vast difference in how we think of these individuals. I think that's absolutely right. And so just to you know, show you uh, the distance I've traveled. So when I first was working on this book and you know, doing the research, um, almost everything that I encountered was referred to them as slaves. And so that's what I wrote. But by the time I was, you know, ready to, I was pretty much done with the research and was ready to now just be writing, I looked at what I'd written and it was like shocking. It was like, oh, no, I can't <laughs> approach them in this way. And I also noticed how much just by that phrasing, it affected the whole perspective of the book. Uh, so much of the original work was about, I, I was so focused on finding information about the colonel, because that's usually how you find information about the enslaved people, that it had infiltrated my perspective. And my perspective was really very focused on him. And just by rethinking, like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, um, let me look at the people, the enslaved people and my grandmother and really 
focusing that way, it just flipped the whole trajectory and perspective. And I was really able to enter the story much more through her journey as a, as a woman who lived. Well, I'm so glad you brought her story to life and that you've graced us here at the Storyteller Microphone. Um, your book, um, Go Back and Get It, is out for people. I hope they enjoy it. I hope they get it. And Dion, thank you for being here on the Storytellers with me. Grace, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This has been a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. Thanks for joining us. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.